Securities offered through Cetera Advisor Networks, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Cetera Advisor Networks, LLC, is under separate ownership from any other named entity. Carson Partners, a division of CWM, LLC, is a nationwide partnership of advisors. This is The Way to Wealth. With host Scott Ford, a jiu-jitsu fighting, woodworking, beekeeping entrepreneur who is also the managing director, partner, and wealth advisor of Carson Wealth. Financial freedom is the goal, and clarity and simplicity is how we'll get there. Let's get to it. This is Way to Wealth. Welcome back to the Way to Wealth podcast. We're all, we're all about making money simple, allowing you to focus on what's most important in your life now and in the future. So money doesn't have to be complicated. So we're back this week and I have a special guest, Alan Brown. I've known Alan for a, for a while. He's an estate planning and asset protection tax attorney with the firm Hunter McLean and has lots of knowledge in this field. So super excited to bring Alan to us today. With that, Alan, if you don't mind, I'd like to start with just a little bit of your backstory, who you are, why you're in this field, and then maybe a little bit about your area of expertise as a tax attorney and a little bit about Hunter McLean. Let's start there. Terrific. Thank you very much for having me, Scott. Um, I am 65. I have been doing law for 40 years, and I've committed to doing 10 more. So I do have a great amount of information from all the clients I've had the privilege of working with. I started out my career in Chicago as a trial lawyer, and I found that even when you win a trial, trials are so stressful for families, I didn't feel like I was really helping them. So I switched over to estate planning and asset protection planning, where I felt I could really help a family both with their issues today and their issues in the future. So I had my office in Chicago for many years. I had the good fortune of marrying a woman from the South. And so guess what? She wanted to move back to the South. Uh, so right now I live uh, just across the Savannah River in South Carolina. And my office is on the South side of the Savannah River in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, Hunter McLean is a 140 year old law firm and the largest and most prestigious law firm in Georgia outside of the city of Atlanta. So it was wonderful for them to welcome me as a partner, and I've really been enjoying continuing to serve all of my Illinois clients as well as my clients uh, coast to coast, you know, California through Florida. Um, so I really enjoy helping people, and I found that the asset protection and estate planning really allowed me to do that the best. That's great. And so I've known that I mentioned Alan for a while and he's really smart and capable in this this realm uh, as a tax attorney. And so great, excited to bring him to you today. And yeah, let's just have a conversation. One of the things is I mentioned and always do is just about making money simple. Well, that would include estate planning and asset protection. And I, I heard it put this way and I made note of it and I, and I keep it because I think it's useful. So I've never shared this with Alan, so would be curious to get your thoughts as well. But it's basically this. What is estate planning? It's getting what you have to who you want it to go, when you want it to go to them, and under terms and conditions which you want it to go. Like that seems to sum it up. It seems to simplify it. And then two, adding to that just one sentence, to eradicate the exposure to divorce, lawsuit, and transfer tax 
on your wealth forever, which is a big statement. And then three, provide you with the satisfactory strings of income and control. So I'd love your thoughts on that, Alan. <laughs> I, I'm smiling because you could walk into a law, law library and that long sentence just covered about a thousand books. So there's, there's a lot packed in there. Um, if I could, l- let me just do a couple of slices. Um, the first slice, we call it estate planning, but it's during your lifetime. And the critical questions are, if you are living but disabled, who's going to make your decisions for you? And so that slice is everyone should have a power of attorney for property. That's where you appoint an agent to sign your, you know, pay your bills, sign your checks if you're alive but disabled. And the other is a power of attorney for health care. Some states call it a medical directive, and that's so someone can make medical decisions for you while you are living but disabled. And all states, all major states have those forms online. If you don't have them, you should go get them. Um, The second slice is exactly what you started with. Where does your money go when you die? And I'm sorry, I have to put that in three pieces because people think about, well, all I need is a will. It's more complicated than that because if you look at your balance sheet, just write down what you own. Let's call that a balance sheet. A number of those things already have rules built into them. So let's take the simple ones. You have a group of things I predict that have beneficiaries. Examples would be a life insurance policy, an individual retirement account, IRA, 401k or pension or profit sharing plan. All of those have beneficiaries and those go to the beneficiary that you name at your death. So your will has nothing to do with that. The second group is anything that you've put in joint tenancy. There are tenancy, uh, joint tenancy with right of survivorship. There's tenancy by the entireties for husband and wife. But that means that two people own that property together. And at the death of the first to die, it automatically becomes owned 100% by the second to die. So again, that piece has nothing to do with your will. The third piece is, what did I own in my own name at my death? And here's where you actually have the will. The will will tell us who will take care of it. And that person is either called an executor or a personal representative. And it says who gets the money. The issue with the will is it's a public document. Anybody can walk down to the local county courthouse and look at your will. So for at least 50 years in America, we've actually taken the will and split it into two pieces. The first piece is a short will, and we call it a pour over will, because it literally says, any assets in my own name at my death pour over or transfer to my personal revocable trust. All of the information about who gets what when are then in your personal revocable trust. Uh, That's also called a living trust, a loving trust. But the point is, it was completely revocable, amendable, changeable by you during your lifetime. And all of the rules are stuck in that document. That is a private contract. It is not filed with any court. And no one gets to look at that except your family and your name beneficiaries. And it's in the revocable trust that you put your 
uh, all of the rules that you have, particularly for how do I make sure that my children and my grandchildren manage money effectively so that my legacy is carried forward? One of the things I like about Alan is he speaks English. So, uh, you know, most times I can understand where he's coming from. And look, for me, uh, I try to distill this to make it as simple as possible and no more simplistic. You can only get so far, but I think that's where that's what's most helpful. So let me give you an example of that. So we've developed and I've learned this. So one of the things I like to do is see patterns and, and things that resonate with me and then make it my own. So through the years, I, I saw a tool of like a generational thinking exercise and we made it our own. If you're watching via video, you can see this. We'll link to it in the show notes, but this is what it does. So when I talked about the definition of estate planning, like this is it graphically. So what we're doing here is at the middle of this page, we're putting in the names of the clients that we're working with. So let's just use me an example. So my name here, Scott, and then Angie. And then up top, we get to, okay, who are the parents? Are they living in deceased or deceased? And we write their name in and their ages. And then to the right, we talk of siblings for me or for Angie. And then below, you list the kids and ages and are they married? And then below that, you list the grandkids. Well, here's what comes from this this tool. And this is this is what I think is useful to do before even seeing an Allen. Because now you you start getting clear on this. What do I have? What are the dynamics? Who do I want it to go to? And you even start thinking about, am I going to inherit someone from the prior generation, your parents or grandparents? And that's important to know because there's a proper way to do that and a not proper way to do that. And so this tool on one page, I think could be useful to have a thinking exercise and then send to someone like Alan Brown, oh, I see who the players are. I see what the dollars amount. What's not listed, we draw a box on the bottom here as well for charity for the wife, charity for the husband or partner so that we're clear on that as well. And these are some really interesting conversations come of this. And here's something else that I'll point out. And that is, and this is one of the biggest takeaways I think that this tool brings. I read a book years ago called Family Wealth, from attorney James Hughes. And this book does a lot, but one of the things it talks about is shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. And there's another Chinese proverb similar to that. And it's true. There's a really high statistic why it happens and how to solve for it, which I really love. And what he talks about is when you have the, you know, the family here, let's say the matriarch, patriarch who created a certain amount of wealth, where this thing falls through the gaps is communication between that generation and the second. So it's all about communication. So when I do this with clients or prospective clients, I circle them and I circle this next generation. And then we come up with a plan of how can we have generational conversations about money, about values, things you want to pass on besides money. Any thoughts on that, Alan? I think that's really powerful. And for me to have some well-organized information, I can immediately be listening to the family and hear what their goals are. Let's go back to our personal revocable trust. Um, we use software to create that. And I don't know, there must be a thousand different paragraphs in that software. And then when I use that tool to create a document, I then go in and hand draft or customize it to the client. So in all the trusts I've ever written in 40 years, no two have been identical. Every family is unique. Every family needs a document 
that is customized to their desires. Let me just hit the last part of your sentence was the asset protection. How do you make sure that three likely creditors. What are the three likely creditors that someone gets in, a, in America? Sadly, if you have a big enough family, somebody's going to get divorced. So a divorcing spouse is a creditor. Less likely, most of us never had a contract dispute that went to court. And luckily, most of us never were in a bad traffic accident where we got blamed for someone being injured. So that's a layer of creditors. And the last is estate taxes. If you have enough money at, you de at your death, both the federal government and maybe your state government want to hit your estate with estate taxes till it goes by. So let me circle back to my personal revocable trust. And my joke is, I hope somebody someday creates a trust for me of which I get to be co-trustee and I get to be a beneficiary. Here's why. This trust created by someone for me is the most perfect asset protection in American law. It seems odd, but the minute that assets are inside a trust like that, no creditor of any trustee can ever touch those assets. No creditor of every, any beneficiary can ever touch those assets, even though I am both a co-trustee and a beneficiary at the same time. So that personal revocable trust that you're creating then at your death goes on for your children and your grandchildren. A lot of people say, well, you know, I don't have that much money. Um, I will just say at my death, give it to my kids. And the revocable trust just allow that information to be uh, private. Please don't do that. Instead, just have that sentence that could have said at my death, outright distribution to my kids say at my death, each of my kids gets his or her own trust that he or she can continue to manage during lifetime. And that means that all of those assets are completely asset protected. So that's you doing it for someone else. The last issue is estate taxes. Uh, we expect that we're going to get by the end of the year a change to the estate tax. That means that any couple with $7 million or more will be subject to the 40% estate tax. And that 40% may go to anywhere from 45 to 65%. And here's why that's, I'm going to use the word dangerous. Here's why that's dangerous is people don't think about what's in there. They own their house. They're pretty sure they know what that is. But if you own a business, it's really hard to know what your business is worth. Is it worth six times earnings? Is it worth 10 times earning? So your business is probably more valuable than you think. And here's the kicker. When people have life insurance, for example, cash value life insurance, they think about, wow, I've put $120,000 in that policy. That's a great retirement asset for me. But guess what? It's got a $2 million death benefit. For estate tax purposes, that's a $2 million item. That's not a $100,000 item. So the last piece is I would suggest that any couple that has $5 million, and that includes the death benefit of all life insurance on that family, has to think about estate tax planning. Yeah, that's good. I was going to actually ask that, Alan, is like, you know, what's the number? And you just said it. So five million if you're if you're um, married and then if single, am I, I'm assuming then is it three and a half that you would you would start thinking or even lower? Uh, I, I think two and a half because, yeah. uh, you know, 
hopefully you're investing well, you're working hard. So whatever your number is today, I think it's going to grow. So the, the kick, quick segue is, remember, the your personal revocable trust at your death said, here, children, you get your own trust. That's perfect asset protection. Well, you and your spouse can create that right now. Husband for wife, wife for husband. I know this sounds ridiculously simple, but if my wife and I take several million dollars of our assets and especially make sure you get that life insurance and we create trusts forever for each other that are correctly done, we don't own it. I don't own the asset. My wife doesn't own the asset. Who owns the assets? Two brand new trusts. All I can say is this is 400 years of English law that became American law, and that's the law. No creditor of me or my wife or anyone that we ask to help us as co-trustee, none of our children, none of our grandchildren for as many generations until they spend it all can ever touch those assets. That is incredibly powerful and also incredibly simple. Just sign, sign to trust, change the title of the key assets, and you just solved all of your family's asset protection and estate tax protection for the next three generations. Um, just so you know, uh, I don't think it's going to go anywhere, but there is at least one proposal in the U.S. Senate from Bernie Sanders who says you shouldn't be able to do that. So he's got some ideas that somehow Americans shouldn't be able to protect their assets. Um, that's not going to go anywhere. But it's clear that if you were trying to maximize the amount of estate tax that you could uh, that that you'd like to collect, if you were the IRS, you'd love for these not to be the rules. They're 400 years old; <laughs> they're not going to change. So yeah. it's it's a surprisingly simple technique to solve a family. Uh, let's say five million dollars or more. It's surprisingly easy to solve the estate tax problem for that family. I love it. I love simple, as you know. And so if I look, if I go back to where I started, getting what you want to who you want, when you want under the terms and conditions, eradicating divorce, lawsuit, transfer tax or estate tax forever and provide satisfactory strings of income and control. Did you not just share that? Correct. Because because husband for wife, wife for husband, during their combined lifetime, my wife and I still have strings to use that money. Now, I want to be clear Think about, I didn't put, of course, everything in there. So I, I have my own assets. So let's call it right pocket, left pocket. My right pocket is my personal assets. So of course, those are still su subject to creditors, potentially still subject to estate taxes. I should spend those first. My left pocket is the trust my wife created for me, uh, asset protected, estate tax protected, spend that second. But if I need to spend every penny during my lifetime, leave my kids nothing, they will be unhappy, but I absolutely can do that. Uh, the, these trusts that we're talking about absolutely give husband and wife the legal right and ability to spend every penny. The fact that they're now in trust does not restrict. That's the string. I, it's, it's, it's bigger than a string. It's, it's a giant garage door to, yeah. to open up and spend all of those assets if you have to. So it's, yeah. just, it's just a wonderful tool. Doing this since 1991, one of the biggest shortcomings I've seen with firms in my industry is this that we typically hear 10, 20, 30, 40% of the conversation and then launch to solution mode. And that's too fast. We want to get to that last, ideally, literally 5% of the agenda in conversation, which there's an art to that. And so I would just highly encourage everyone 
some family members may have that ability. Beautiful. But have those kind of conversations or engage with a firm or someone who can help you get to that last 5% to get clear on what we're really trying to accomplish and why. And this takes some time and there can be some uh, challenging conversations you could call, but it's not challenging. That's where the growth comes is having these kind of conversations. And when you get that laid out and you can do it on potentially a one pager with an, a, a document to attach to it of what we're really trying to accomplish and that's thought through thoroughly, that's when you're, you're super ready to see someone capable like an Alan who can put these type of documents together to check all the boxes that we just talked about. So, Two things. One, I just want to check in with you, Alan, see if there's anything else to add. And then uh, beyond that, I want to talk just briefly about legacy and where we're going uh, on an upcoming podcast regarding legacy. My final thought would be, unfortunately, the legal profession and the accounting profession is caught in the box that I have to write down every six minutes that I work, one-tenth of an hour, and who I have to bill it to, and my billing rate is substantial, and people need to get their money's worth. So, it's, it will feel like I'm in a hurry. I suppose it's like the doctor's office where when I was a kid, you spent an hour and now you're lucky to get six minutes. Accounting profession has the same problem. So as a result, when we meet with a client, we tend to try to quickly find the problem, solve the problem, do it cost effectively. And that's just the box we're trapped in, which is why it's so powerful for a family to work with Carson Wealth, because you're organized completely differently. You're organized for, we will spend the time with you. We will make sure that your story gets told. And then for that to be summarized and, and passed over to the accountant or the lawyer, we will do such a better job because we will have more complete information and we will get a lot more information because no offense, no one's going to pay me my hourly rate to sit down and tell their family story for three hours. I wish they did. That would be great fun for me, but that's not realistic. So that's what the power of me working with Carson Wealth and, and having clients that we work on together. I really appreciate what you guys do because it makes me or permits me to do a much better job. Yeah, we were very well said. Thank you for that. And very well articulated, Alan. So um, that's great feedback for everyone who's listening. The, the last thing that I'll close with in this podcast is just an upcoming podcast. So we're talking about estate planning, a little bit about asset protection and how they tie together. And part of that is passing money, clearly. And it's more than that. What about passing values and a legacy? I mean, none of us want to create trust fund brats, I've heard it said, or you know, hurt the next generation. We want to help them. And that's where I think the communication between the generations come in. And that's where things like a family retreat and creating a mission statement for the family, a logo and core values for the family and creating time where you talk about them and you're building this culture where you're passing on values and things that you've learned, you and your, your partner and spouse through the years beyond just money. Money's just a tool. It's just energy that can be used in these various areas. So of no shock, my trust document has a statement of purpose and it talks about, will be of no surprise, health, wealth, wisdom, and happiness and the three things that go below that. And that's in there for a reason because that's what I really want the next generation. These are things I've learned that I wanna pass on and then use the money as a tool to help them in those areas. So we'll go way deeper that in that in an upcoming podcast. I have a, 
a friend, Rich Christensen, who's going to join me, who's brilliant in this area, just like uh, Alan's brilliant in this legal area of estate planning and asset protection. So on that note, Alan, any uh, closing remarks and how can people find you if they wanted to reach out and learn more about you, your services and Hunter McLean? Um, easiest way would be just go online, Hunter McLean, M-A-C-L-E-A-N. Uh, the law firm has a website and pop it open and you can uh, get both my email and my uh, telephone number. Would be happy to help with anyone. Uh, consultations are free. Um, if you want to work with me and I want to work with you, we'll do it. And if not, it was fun meeting you. So thank you very much for the opportunity to be on the podcast. It's always a pleasure working with you and your team. Thanks, Alan. Appreciate what you're doing and had a great chat. We'll be in touch. Take care, everyone. Look forward to seeing you at an upcoming podcast where we make money simple so you can live fully now. The opinions voiced in Way to Wealth with Scott Ford, Managing Director, Partner, and Wealth Advisor of Carson Wealth, are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Way to Wealth are not affiliated with CWM LLC or Satara Advisor Networks LLC.